For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, a Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Dear sisters and brothers in Christ Jesus, the winds are blowing 30 to 35 miles an hour. The snow is coming down. The temperatures are dropping. The blizzard warnings are out. And doesn't this give meaning to the old Christmas song, Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow, that begins when the weather outside is frightful? When the weather outside is frightful, where would you most like to, to be? Probably at home, right? Safe in your home? Today, as we think about our Old Testament reading from 2 Samuel chapter 7, we think about being safe at home, but not whatever the address is for your home, your residence. We think about being safe in the house or the home of David. Now, David, of course, was a king. Rules approximately about 1,000 B.C. before Christ. And, and at the time we break into this account, David is, is a king who is greatly blessed in terms of his living condition. He's, he's already a wealthy man. He decides that he wants to build a new palace and a new capital, the city of Jerusalem. And it so happens that there's a king up to the north. His name is Hiram, the king of Tyre. And, and he has all kinds of uh, quarries, and there are cedar groves that grow there. So uh, they cut a deal, and as a result, Hiram has his stone cutters provide beautiful, beautiful stones for a palace, as well as probably some of the best cedar that you could find any place in the world. And so here David is living in this beautiful, beautiful palace. You can just imagine the beauty of the stonework, and, and, and you can see and you can smell the, the cedar high-quality cedar. And not only is David living in good conditions, but militarily and politically, things are good. We're told that the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. If you recall the story of David, there is a time where uh, King Saul, who comes before him, is jealous of David and, and is threatening David. And as a matter of fact, things got so bad that Saul has actually pursued David like a wild animal. And then in the early years of David's reign, you could say that his reign is characterized by war and war and more war, and of course, victory after victory after victory. But now he's living in, he's living in comfort and he's living in peace. And as David assesses things, he thinks to himself, wow, here, here I am, I am so blessed and the Ark of the Covenant, remember that was that box that had the tables of stone. It had the little omer of manna that reminded people of the wandering in the wilderness. And, and it had that staff of, of Aaron and so on. And it symbolized the presence of the Lord. And it, it was in the most holy place, uh, a part of a tent structure called the tabernacle that was the center, the focus of worship in the Old Testament times for, oh, several hundred years, probably about 400 years. And David looks at himself, and then he considers where the ark of the Lord is, and he says, he says, you know, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. And so David wants to do something. Now, isn't this a, a reminder to us about counting our blessings? Stop and think about it 
Are you hungry today? If you are, it's not because you don't have food in your house. It's just because you didn't take the time to eat breakfast. Think about the clothes you wear. Now, maybe it was a case where you had to dig a little deeper in the drawer to get your woolies or your longies or maybe go a little further back in the closet. But here we are. We're all dressed today. And probably we didn't just have one choice of clothing. But for some of us, maybe it was a major ordeal to decide what, what am I going to wear today. And speaking of homes, just think about your home. It, it was warm and cozy, I would assume, and uh, dry. And it's like that day after day after day. And think about the blessing of family and work and, and all the different things we enjoy uh, as people living in the celestial plains of Minnesota. And then think of the forgiveness of sins and the love of God and the presence of God in our lives every day and that he just richly and daily blesses us. The angels who watch over us, the eternal life that's ours. We are so blessed. And David reminds us to count our blessings each and every day. But at the same time, isn't he also a prick on our conscience because aren't there days that go by and we just sort of take all the blessings for granted and as a result, the thanking of God is something that just kind of goes by also. Like David, assess where you are in life and the blessings that God gives to him and give him thanks. David wanted to then build a temple for the Lord. Probably a grand, grand temple that he had in mind. And Nathan told him, David, go for it. But when the Lord responded to David's intent, the Lord basically said no. It wasn't the time that God wanted to have uh, a temple built. And besides, you know, God is a God who fills the whole wide universe and he doesn't have a place, need a place in which to dwell. And he was quite satisfied with the tabernacle at time uh, as, as the focal point of worship in, in the nation of Israel. And when the time was right, God would see to it that something would happen. And we're also told in the, the books of Chronicles that God didn't want David to be the, the builder of the tabernacle because David was a king of war. Whereas God wanted that tabernacle and everything in it to symbolize peace, the peace that, that he was going to bring through the Savior who was to come. But God had another blessing in mind for David. And so he told Nathan, Now tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning, and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. And I will also give you rest for all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. The Lord through Nathan talked about the fact that David's name would become great. And here we are, 3,000 years later, talking about David, right? I... When I was in uh, Salt Lake City the last time with my son Jesse, uh, went over to the Mormon Geologic, Genealogical Library 
and I wanted to find something out about my grandfather and his family and I could only get back a couple hundred years and all of a sudden the Suttons disappeared. Now I, I know that they didn't just drop from heaven and uh, they didn't just appear on the face of the earth but can't find anything a couple hundred years ago and yet here we are 3,000 years and David's name is still being read from scripture. It's being sung in hymns and we remember him in different ways. Little kids know about Davy and Goliath. God gave him the name that was great, but that name would be great in another way in that he would be, he would be the ancestor of the Savior whose birth we celebrate this weekend. And God would give David a, a physical kingdom too. He was already in that kingdom, but he, he would extend its borders. And when his son Solomon would take the throne after him, that kingdom would even be extended further. And it would be a kingdom of which there was peace and prosperity, and people would not be threatening the people of God. And to some extent, in the days thereafter, David and Solomon, this would go on for a while at least. But what God is talking to David about is a foreshadowing of something that is more lasting and more blessed. We're talking not about a physical kingdom in terms of geographical location. We're talking about a human kingdom where the Lord rules in the hearts of people. Like when we pray, your kingdom come, and we're praying, Lord, come into my heart. Continue to rule in my heart and to bless other people coming into theirs so that they enjoy your love and your peace and are part of your family of believers. And that's the kingdom which God, through Nathan, is pointing to David. That spiritual kingdom that has eternal, eternal implications to it. It's not a kingdom in, here in time which uh, means that people are free from all the, the, the hurts and the heartaches of life or are invulnerable to hardship. Uh, we who are part of the kingdom of God still struggle to make ends meet and to pay our bills. Uh, even though this, the curse of sin has been removed from us each and every day, we do battle with the devil and with our own sinful nature. Life for us is a spiritual struggle. Uh, there are all kinds of challenges that we have to face in life. And yet, in this kingdom, in this house of David, we are safe. We are safe with the, the love and the peace of God living in us. We are safe with the power of God working for us. We are safe with the protection of God watching over us. We are safe because God and his holy angels are with us each and every day to bless and keep us. And even though Satan is there to always try to snatch us out of the Lord's hands, as Jesus says, no one, no one will snatch my people, my sheep, out of my hand. And this kingdom is a kingdom that is everlasting. I read some time ago about a historian that studied the different civilizations, the ancient civilizations of the world, and he identified 74. And he said the longest lived of all the civilizations was called the, the Axumite kingdom of Ethiopia that lasted for about 1,100 years. And there was the Vedic kingdom of e India that lasted about 1,000 years. But stop and think about it. The kingdom of David now, in terms of its spiritual and eternal nature, is everlasting 
because its king is everlasting. And it is the latter part of this, this section of God's word that really alludes to this king. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Now, after David, as I mentioned, there would come Solomon. A great king, probably uh, the wisest man who ever lived on the face of the earth, except for Jesus himself. But there came a time where uh, Solomon's weakness got the best of him, and his weakness had to do with women. He was married to not just one, but to hundreds. And he married women who came from all kinds of different cultures, who worshipped all kinds of different gods, and so not only was he guilty of polygamy to the nth degree, he was also guilty of paganism. He fell into idol worship. And the Lord would inflict all kinds of punishment upon him, not so much physically speaking as it would be in terms of the consequences for Solomon's kingdom because it would be split in two, the northern kingdom of Israel, the northern ten tribes, and the southern kingdom of Israel, basically Judah, who would have also absorbed Simeon. And those two kingdoms would be at war with one another. And you can imagine if Saul lived long enough to see everything that happened, it would have grieved him. And so God did afflict Solomon and punished him for turning his back on the Lord. But he did not forsake Solomon because the writings of Solomon indicate that he turned back to the Lord and, and the Lord didn't, didn't forsake his people totally, although, you know, centuries later they would go into exile and so on. But when we think about these words of the Lord, as I said before, they really have longer implications than just David and Solomon and the kingdom of Judah. Because they envelop that whole kingdom of the Lord Jesus, whose birth we celebrate. It is an everlasting kingdom. You know, when we think about the birth of Jesus, remember, he is not just the son of Mary, human. He is also the son of God, divine. He was back there before creation. He was back there all the way into eternity with the Father and the Holy Spirit. But in love, when the time was just right, he took on human nature miraculously within the womb of Mary. And when the time was right, he was born, like us in every way, but without sin. And yet he had all kinds of sin to take care of. Our sin. The sin with which we're born that, that, that causes us each and every day to sin in our thoughts and our words and our actions. The sins of doubting God when it comes to his promises and his faithfulness. The sins of questioning God when it comes to his decisions as to what degree we should be blessed. And uh, the, the 
desire that sometimes we have to take the place of God and want to control things that really we should be putting into the hands of God in all the times when in weakness and ignorance and sometimes in willfulness we turn our backs on God. Jesus had to come and pay for all of those and while he had no sin of his own for which to be punished, he allowed himself to be punished for all of our sins. The sins with which we are born, as well as the sins that we commit each and every day. And his father didn't just flog him with the beatings of men, which you know Jesus went through. His father punished him with separation. What it's like to be in hell. The hell that you deserve. The hell that I deserve. And yet Jesus suffered that for us in love. And as a result, the curse that we deserve is removed from us. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so Jesus becomes the greatest of sinners carrying all our sin and brings to us his holiness, his righteousness. The great exchange, as it's sometimes called, that we might have forgiveness and peace and in where the holiness of Jesus, which we have through faith in him. And now forgiven and delivered from the curse of sin, we can say that we are safe in the house of David. As we celebrate this Christmas, and we think about all the things that Christmas means, let's not forget that safety that we enjoy as a result of this greatest of descendants of David coming to serve as our Savior. We are blessed in so many ways. And one of those ways is that we are safe in the house of David. And so as you thank the Lord for the various things that you enjoy this Christmas, also thank him for that safety in how you live, in what you say, and in what you do. And the peace of God that passes understanding will keep your hearts and your minds through faith in Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.